I'm so excited to welcome you to my latest podcast as we gear up for 2024. You're now tuning into the Happiness Code, three shifts to break free from New Year's resolutions, the space where we get real about crafting a joy-filled life. Now, let, let me be totally candid with you. I have been down the New Year's resolution road so many times, more than I can count. If you're like me, the familiar cycle of setting big goals, feeling the weight of unmet expectations, and then getting disappointed in myself and feeling guilty, it's a script that so needs to be rewritten. In today's episode, we're tossing aside the tired traditions of New Year's resolutions. Instead, we're diving headfirst into game-changing shifts that have the ability to empower you and unlock your fullest potential. So who better than to speak on this topic than my colleague and cherished friend, who by the way is chronically happy, Tarun Puri. He supports entrepreneurs to grow from success to fulfillment leading to living happily ever after. And no, this is not a fairy tale. Tarun, welcome. I'm so delighted to have you. Hello, Roz. The pleasure's all mine. (laughs) (laughs) So, given that you live happily ever after, (laughs) I was wondering, you know, I describe goals as dreams with a deadline. Why is it so important for people to have goals? Well, goals uh, remind us that we're here to grow. All of nature uh, can be identified by the word growth. Everything around us is growing, and we're no different. And so when we do have goals, or I like to call them aspirations, then what that does is that that inspires us, encourages us to um, grow ourselves and to grow our energy and to become hopefully a better version uh, of who or where we are at this point. Let me ask you another question, because the reason why I chose this topic and selected you is because I don't like to feel frustrated. And I know that New Year's resolutions, as ambitious as they are when I make them, often disappoint me. Mm -hmm. Why do New Year's resolutions have a high failure rate? That's an excellent question, and I think there isn't one of us who hasn't asked that of ourselves or of each other. Again, I think the desire to grow is very natural uh, within each of us, and uh, there are certain times where there's a collective momentum, if you will. So many people at this time of year start to think about reflecting on where they've come from and where they are and perhaps where they'd like to be, and I think that's very healthy. The collective momentum um, gives us extra energy. Um, Imagine like if my car's broken down and I need to push it over a hill. It's so much easier when there's 10 others there to give me a hand. So my intention is to take this car from point A to B. Doing it by myself is difficult, but with the energy of 10 other people, there's a collective momentum that can take me from point A to B. Now, The issue around why is it that we end up making resolutions and then we drop the ball is because oftentimes the resolutions made from the outside in. What I mean by that is that they often don't match our hierarchy of values. We all have a set of values personally and individually that we live by, 
And then there's values of a social system that we live in. And if we don't shift or reprioritize or at least even become aware of our value system and we try to make a change on the outside for perhaps the wrong reasons, like doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, we're going to have a misalignment and ultimately we're going to run out of steam. You're giving me some good insights here when you say from the outside in. For example, I begin every New Year saying that I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to lose weight. And so is that that's from the outside in? Is that what my problem is? My question to you would be that, are you shooting on yourself? Because what happens is, you see, we pick up a societal value of I should lose weight. I should be lighter right? I should not eat this. I, you know, I, I must do this. Um, so immediately we have bought into a societal value system, which may not align with our own. Right. Um, and so if you have a habit that has taken perhaps decades or years to put into place, it's going to be very difficult to shift out of that, no matter how much you see the value of it, unless we can approach it from the inside out. Does that make sense, Rose? It does. It does. I mean, I, I know that I speak for some of my friends where we set these expectations, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week and life happens. Therefore, we get disappointed in ourselves and don't feel that we're disciplined enough. So you're saying that we have to research and go from inside out. Absolutely, because again, we've ha- we've created a, a, a mismatch. In a sense, we have set ourselves up for failure unwittingly. And, uh, you know, that enthusiasm that lasts the first month, let's say, in January, you know, that's where you've got all your friends helping push the car. We're all into it, right? And then we all get commandeered or hijacked um, or sabotaged by those value systems that we've been carrying for decades because they haven't shifted. We haven't investigated our own thinking that got us into this place in the first place. Even the thought that I should lose weight, I would say to you, well, is that true? And why is it true? And according to whom? And what are you hoping to achieve by losing weight? How do you think your life is going to be any different? And and according to whom is the ideal weight? So these kind of questions, if we start to ask ourselves, then the point becomes more about the why my thoughts are taking me in a certain direction. And once I can align those thoughts and be clear as to why I'm choosing to do something, and if it aligns with my value system, then the likelihood for success or reaching that goal um, is much higher than than typical. You know, I'm thinking that probably a good way of setting any resolutions for the new year is to think about what's your, like you said, what your values are. I always think values are clear, decisions are easy. Maybe it should be more around, I will spend more time with my family and have more meaning in my life. Well, now that's opening up a a, a huge doorway because when you start talking about meaning and family, you're now referring to what your personal hierarchy of values are and the ones that you carry within you but may not necessarily be honored 
you may have given your power away to the shoulds again. You know, I, I, what's most important to me, more time with my family, you know, um, uh, more time being in situations that bring me joy, which produce happiness. That, that is a, that's a default nature that we have. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to reiterate what you're saying in a different way. Years ago, I heard a minister say that when you live in the past, you live with regrets. And if you live in the future, you live with anxiety. And ideally, in a perfect world, you should live in the present. How can you hang on to living in the present? What is your advice? You will notice that the mind will quickly uh, put us into the past or the future when something is happening around us or to us, or we're perceiving something. It is very quick to react. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But my and what the simple answer to that is breath. Once we can train ourselves just to take a deep breath, it immediately brings you into the present. And you notice that when we get triggered or when, when we have a thought about even a past event that's upsetting to us, our breath becomes shallow or almost non-existent. If we can become aware, uh, because, you know, Ra's awareness is the most powerful quality in the universe. It's It's even more powerful than love because... Love never stopped a speeding bullet, right? But awareness could maybe help us to get out of the way. So what I'm what I'm speaking to here is if we can cast our awareness from the inside out, we can actually learn the skill set through mindfulness of how to become present and then learn how to stay present more often. Because you're correct. The minister was correct. Whenever we're in the past time, that's depression. When we're in the future times, it's anxiety. In the present, there's no issue. We're just here. Here's the problem. I speak for a lot of people that we live in a very fast-paced world. How do you just pause to be able to be grounded outside of breath? I can appreciate that. But what if I, I don't have the discipline to be able to stop and, and understand the whole mindset of, about that breath? What else can I do? Well, it's that awareness that, that will carry us through these things. I mean, uh, when there's a hurricane, um, I'm trying not to bring you too f- close to Florida here, but yeah, when there's I a... <laughs> right, I, I might have picked a bad example, but when there's a hurricane, you understand for every hurricane and all the chaos and the, f- and the speed, there's also an eye to that storm, which is total stillness. So first of all, it's the awareness. It's the awareness and the recognition that in any situation, in no, let me rephrase that. In every situation, we have a choice. And that choice is, do I match the energy of the madness? Do I get caught up in it? Or do I take one small step back and choose to become centered, which I call the eye of the storm? And, and I'm just saying it, it's not that you're separated out or somehow isolated in the eye. You're centered, which makes you even more powerful, more present, and more capable of dealing with the chaos around you without matching that energy. Does that, does that translate? Mm-hmm. I love your analogy with the hurricane. You know, just prior to a hurricane coming, you could prepare and it gives you that time to think logically about the situation. 
And that's awareness again. If I'm not even aware that there's a quiet center next to the chaos, how will I even know I have a choice, right? Then I have no choice but to be in the chaos. That's the foundation of this work is that because uh, as obvious as it is, I want to reiterate or I want to emphasize that happiness, happiness is not a destination. It is really a journey. It is a process of uh, reclaiming or unfoldment. And it is a choice. Personally, I make that choice at the juncture of every thought that I have. And we will get a little bit deeper into this when we look at uh, some of our keys today that we're going to address. Because you can start making informed, aware, aware, intelligent choices right now, which will uh, allow you to experience a path that is laden with happiness as you take on the obstacles along the way. Tarun, I really think that what you're sharing with us isn't just about entering into a new year. I think it's about making a choice for how you want to live your life. Everybody, get your pens ready. Tarun's now going to share additional wisdom and insights around three keys to kicking off the new year and your life without guilt or remorse. And if you're wondering what they are, here they are. The first is accountability versus blame. Following that is going to be reaction versus action, ending on bitter versus better. Tarun, let's talk about accountability versus blame. I mean, after decades of working on myself, which is still an ongoing process and working with clients and individuals and families and businesses, this is one that seems to be a foundational pairing, accountability versus blame. And especially in the last several years uh, with all of the pandemic uh, stresses, we have become even more entrenched in a culture of blaming. It is human nature that when we feel threatened, when our survival feels threatened and somehow we don't feel safe, we have learned to go into the place of blame. And again, blame is an outside-in process. And what blame does is it creates victims and it creates guilt. When I'm blaming myself, I go into guilt. When I'm blaming you, I'm a victim. And let me uh, give you a metaphor. Blame is like walking into uh, a cell, uh, a prison cell, where the door closes behind you. And now, if you're looking for solutions, it's going to be very difficult because you have put yourself into this cell with a locked door. Whereas when I switch to choosing accountability, then it's moving through the cell, but the good news is that the door on the other side is open. And what is it open to? solutions. So when I claim to be a solutions expert, it's because I've been practicing this day in and day out with every kind of situation in my life, from the most mundane to the most serious. And what I do is I ask myself the question, uh, what would accountability look like here? Or if I was to take accountability for what I've just experienced, seen, perceived, good, bad, or ugly, how would accountability work here as opposed to blame? You know, what you're saying to me resonates so much. 
I'm thinking as an executive coach, I sometimes hear people play that victim or blaming their boss or something for the situation they're in. And the analogy about being in a sale with a closed door is, is really indicative of how we sometimes set ourselves up with the way we think. I really love the idea of taking accountability where the door opens. It's super wonderful and uplifting to me. And, and it's only 100% of the time, Ross. You know, there's no like, I'll take some accountability or maybe 80%. But, you know, it's kind of fun to blame and be the martyr and poor me and only if and, and whether it's society or an individual or a past relationship or all of the things that keep us unhappy. And if I'm if I made a decision that I'd like to experience life, every breath, every thought, I'd like to experience it as uplifting and happy, despite what is happening around me. See, that that's the big part. Within the understanding, and this is my own personal experience, that when I consider myself to be in the middle of everything that's happening around me, like a projector, and that every thought is now creating everything around me, whether I understand how or whether I know why, those are secondary questions. And therefore, I make a, a resolution to take 100% accountability, even if I don't understand it. And I'm open to solutions which will help me to, to change how I experience life. And bl- as soon as I get away from blaming, I feel free. My wings are open. I like that because it gives you hope as well. Yes. It, it's very uplifting. Let me move to the next one. Reaction versus action. What does that mean? Oh, boy. Okay. So these are all interrelated. It's almost like a trinity we're speaking about today. My observation in my own growth, uh, self-awareness, self-growth has has been how reactive I uh, I grew up to be and how we've been trained to react. In one sense, it's a biological survival imperative that we need to react because there's fear or it's unsafe. Every time I react, I lose. Let me repeat that. Every time I react, I lose. Because every time I argue with what is, then there's no winning there. There's no solution. Once I learn to accept what is happening or has just happened, whether I like it or not is secondary. But if I can maintain the self-awareness, the centeredness, if I can be in the eye of the storm when the storm is upon us, I can acknowledge it without reacting to it and then choose the appropriate action. In other words, I'm in the driver's seat. It sounds wonderful. However, we're human beings, and I see there are situations that I go through where my default is reaction. I have to. It just I have to react. And I know that I shouldn't, and I know I should just be still. How do you manage that? How do you set a time limit to reaction? Because we're human beings. Well, you see, now this is your, your human mind and your, and your personality telling you, right, uh, that it needs to have a job. So it's going to keep you in that reactive cycle. My question to you is, so how does it feel at the end of the day when you've reacted to 95% of life? right? Uh, What does that do to your energy? How do you sleep? Okay, what is the cost 
of living in a reactive life. And, you know, we start when we get up. I, I know sometimes I get up, I look in the mirror and I go, oh, my God. My first reaction is, look, you know, so how kind is that, Roz, right? When I'm asking you to act and not react, I'm not asking you to escape or somehow disconnect. You may still need to have a stern word with someone. You may still need to say no, or you may still need to speak to the the staff and 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 give the bad news. Uh, whatever it is that you know you, you need to attend to is legitimate, but you can do it from a very centered place where that moment of consideration uh, will pay off in dividends. Because you will have acted. Um, let me give you a quick example in the martial arts world um, uh, in our training. The, the good martial artist is not the one who can do the fanciest moves or kick the highest um, or, or is the strongest or has an iron fist or all the things. The good martial artist is the one that when there's four opponents coming at them from different directions, they're not reacting. See? They're acting, they're grounded, they're centered, and with minimal output of energy, they're very efficient. They actually are able to, with ease, handle what's coming at them. It's a learning, it's a process. We start with small things. I think also it's not blaming, as you said earlier, someone else, but taking the self-responsibility, you know, just a funny story. I travel so often on planes and there happened to be someone behind me banging with their on the seat. And And there's nothing that's more distressing when I'm trying to work. And it was going on and on. And I I remembered saying to myself, they don't know they're doing it because often, you know, people just do things and it's just, you know, it's not with a conscious awareness. And I turned around and I looked at this man and I said, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. And I know it's not your intention to bang my chair. Would it be possible to, to not do it anymore? And he didn't know. So I think that was a learning that we have to not assume someone is with ill intent. Beautiful. In this situation, you assessed what was going on, you had a solution you were looking for, and you remained kind and you remained gracious, which is your nature, and you acted appropriately. Okay, let's go to the last one. Ending on bitter versus better. This is fascinating. What do you mean? All right. In the process of putting together my mentorship program, I came up with these pairings like accountability and blame and reaction and action, just as a way of stopping some and starting others. And um, so I kind of just meditated and tuned in to these pairings that I thought. And I came up, I think, with about 16. And the last one was bitter versus better. And I thought, that's really interesting that those words are coming to me. So I reflected upon it and I recognized how often we go down the road of bitterness. Now, what does that mean? Bitter means resentful. Bitter means unforgiving, right? Bitter means critical. Like, so, but bitter versus better. And when I'm um, working with an individual who is sharing their, their old stories that they're carrying or their experience or even their current situation, let's say, I've, I've worked with executives who are, who are uh, undergoing a, a, a relationship breakout and, and they 
quite legitimately share what they've experienced, what's happened to them, what's been done to them, uh, whether it was good or bad or unfair. I mean, people are sharing how they've experienced the situation. At the end of that process, before I proceed to offer guidance for consideration, I ask one question. I said, okay, I've heard you. Thank you for trusting me with this. Um, I need to know from you uh, one, one answer so that we can proceed appropriately. Moving forward in the moment, moving forward, how do you wish to proceed? Bitter or better? And you know, I'm I'm a lawyer by training. I mean, bitter means I'm going to make a lot of money because they're going to get even and they're going to spend a lot of money, you know, in order to prove that, you know, do you understand the outcome of bitterness is so self-destructive? Or are you going to do, you know, how can I choose? How can I be better than this? I'm not going to react. I'm going to choose to act in a better way. And how I do that is by taking full accountability for what I've experienced beyond right or wrong, good or bad. You see how we can tie all those together? I just love this. (laughs) This is so, it's so inspiring. Tarun, we've come to the end of our podcast, although I could just go on and on talking to you. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for your insights on regaining mastery of our lives. I certainly see the value of changing our thinking. Happiness is not a destination, it's a journey. You've paved the way for that. As we conclude the Happiness Code today, remember you can and deserve to be happy and fulfilled. As the opportunities of a new year present themselves, I hope you'll find that it's time for a fresh start, a renewed perspective, and a commitment to fully living our lives in the present with abundance and happiness. Thank you to our listeners for being part of this uplifting conversation. For those of you that wish to contact Tarun, his website is Finding the Guru Within, in addition to his amazing book of the same title. Tarun, I am so honored to have had you today. Thank you for your time. It was very much a pleasure, Roz, and I look forward to further conversations and insights into how we can all be happier. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye for now. If you wish to listen to our past episodes or more information on the Asheroff Institute, please visit asheroff.com. I wish you a wonderful rest of your day.